Hello and welcome to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, November 25th, 2023. The only podcast that separates the fact from the narrative spin. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Anti-immigrant riots erupt in Dublin after a knife attack. Gaza's temporary ceasefire and hostage release deal begins. A U.S. warship in the Red Sea reportedly shoots down Houthi drones. A report suggests that the U.S. disrupted a plot to murder a Sikh separatist. A Pakistani court orders Imran Khan to appear before a public trial. The expiration of the New York Adult Survivors Act prompts a wave of allegations. Reports suggest that Iran secretly executed a man over 2022 anti-government protests. Joe Biden declares an emergency on the U.S. Virgin Islands over lead contamination. The World Health Organization says no novel pathogens are found in a China pneumonia outbreak. And a NASA spacecraft beams back a laser message from 10 million miles away. In our top story, the latest from the Dublin riots, anti-immigrant violence has erupted after a knife attack. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBS, News Talk, Garda, Express UK, Times Now and ITV News. Ireland's capital erupted into riots, violence and looting Thursday night after a knife attack at a school earlier in the day that left a woman and three young children in the hospital with their injuries. Two of the victims, a five-year-old girl and a 30-year-old woman, were in serious condition, police officials said. The suspect in police custody was also hospitalized in serious condition. Drew Harris, the police commissioner for Gardai, Ireland's national police, said that people, quote, filled with hate, began descending on the crime scene at 5.30 p.m. local time, disrupting the police investigation. Quote, from there on, the violence escalated, Harris said. In the ensuing riots, police said 400 uniformed Gardai officers were deployed in Dublin city centre, including 250, quote, public order police. After order was restored around 9 p.m., police said that a total of 13 properties were attacked or damaged, including a number of stores that were looted. Police also said a number of officers were injured, one of them seriously. A total of 34 people were arrested. Harris blamed the riots on a, quote, complete lunatic hooligan faction driven by far-right ideology, and reports suggested that they began after anti-immigrant groups claimed the perpetrator of the knife attack was a foreigner, triggering the backlash. Police have yet to publicly name the individual, and he has not been identified. During the violence, rioters set fire to the entrance of the Holiday Inn Express Hotel, a building the Irish government has reportedly used to house illegal immigrants and asylum seekers in the city. Videos on social media also suggested that Dublin City Dorms, another site that reportedly houses asylum seekers, was also attacked. In a press conference intended for a British-Irish council meeting at Dublin Castle on Friday, the Irish leader, Twasich Leo Veradkar, said, quote, two terrible attacks had taken place on Thursday. The first was an attack on innocent children, the second an attack on our society and the rule of law. Each attack brought shame to our society and disgrace to those involved and incredible pain to those caught up in the violence. He added, I want to say to a nation that is unsettled and afraid, this is not who we are, this is not where we want to be, and this is not who we will ever be. Those involved brought shame on Dublin, brought shame on Ireland, and brought shame on their families and themselves. Thank you, Eric, for laying out the facts on our first story today. We're going to start our first round of narrative spins with a left narrative 
provided by Yahoo News. According to a recent study into online disinformation trends in Ireland, researchers said far-right elements in the country have not only grown but play a crucial role in the disinformation space. These groups often spread hateful and misleading content about a number of groups, including migrants and refugees. Now this disinformation is having real-world consequences, as these riots demonstrate. Ireland needs to crack down on this far-right hate. We counter that with a right narrative coming from Business Post. This violence is a tragedy. And at the same time, Ireland needs to have a real conversation about immigration. While tensions are already surfacing, new plans laid out by the EU last week will mean that Ireland will take in more asylum seekers than nearly every other European country. That's because so many multinational firms are based in Ireland, meaning it has the second largest gross domestic product, a key factor in how many asylum seekers it has to take in. This trend of more and more immigration is unsustainable. And we've also included a pro-establishment narrative provided by RTE. Both the knife attack and the riots that shook Dublin on Thursday were despicable acts of violence and do not represent the nation of Ireland or its people. Those who engaged in them brought shame on their country, their families, and themselves. Police are investigating both events to the fullest extent of their powers, and those who participated will be held to account. The Metaculous Prediction community has a nerd narrative. They say there's a 25% chance Ireland and Northern Ireland will reunify by 2041. The Gaza Strip's temporary ceasefire comes into effect. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Al Jazeera, Sky News, BBC News, and Haaretz.com. The Qatari-mediated agreement between Israel and Hamas to pause hostilities for four days in exchange hostages held in Gaza for Palestinian prisoners held in Israeli jails came into effect Friday morning, with no ceasefire violations reported as of Friday afternoon local time. An Egyptian official reported that at least 90 aid trucks have so far entered Gaza through the Rafah crossing with Egypt. Thirteen Israeli hostages, including four children and six elderly women, were delivered to the Red Cross later on Friday and transported to Israel after weeks as captives in Hamas. Additionally, a group of 10 Thai nationals and a Philippine citizen were also freed outside the framework of the ceasefire deal. On the Israeli side, 39 Palestinian prisoners, 24 women and 15 teenage boys have been freed from the Afar prison near Ramallah in the West Bank. The Israeli military reportedly fired tear gas and stun grenades at crowds waiting for their arrival after a number of Hamas flags went up. Palestinian Islamic Jihad, or the PIJ, a close Hamas ally, said that Israeli soldiers being held hostage would only be released in exchange for all Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails. Ziad Nakhala, the group's leader, said that the exchange of all hostages and prisoners, quote, is linked to the end of the aggression. The BBC reported that seven Palestinians were injured in South Gaza as they tried to return to their homes in the north of the Strip, having come under fire from Israeli forces. BBC's team further clarified through geolocation that this was a, quote, crowd fleeing southward along Sahal al-Din Road to the east of al-Mugraga, as small arms fire is heard coming from the north. Gaza's health ministry reports that over 14,000 people in the Gaza Strip have been killed, over two-thirds of which were women and children, and 33,000 have been wounded. 
The official Israeli death toll, meanwhile, stands at 1,200 people. Adam, thank you for the update in Gaza. We have our first spin. It is a pro-Israel narrative coming from Jerusalem Post. While freeing hostages is of the utmost importance, Israel must not succumb to unfair international pressure. Hamas has a history of forcing uneven deals, and the Israeli war cabinet made the right decision by weighing its options before accepting this temporary pause. It should remain clear, however, that Israel's ultimate goal is to eliminate Hamas from the Gaza Strip, and Jerusalem will continue to work toward this end. And the Middle East eye is going to counter that with a pro-Palestine narrative. Though the Israeli defense forces have made steadied progress on the ground, a tactical assault on Hamas to free the captives could lead to the deaths of many more. Israel has made a wise choice to bring its citizens home immediately through this temporary ceasefire. This will also see much-needed aid reach Gaza, where an utter humanitarian cataclysm is unfolding. According to the Metaculous Prediction community, there's a nerd narrative that says a 30% chance that Israel will recognize Palestine by 2070. In our next story, U.S. warship shoots down drones from Houthi-controlled Yemen. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, The Hill, Reuters, Jordan Times, Navy Times, and The Manila Times. U.S. Central Command, or CENTCOM, confirmed that on Thursday morning, the USS Thomas Hudner shot down multiple one-way attack drones fired from Houthi-controlled territory within Yemen. CENTCOM stated that the warship was, quote, on patrol in the Red Sea when the event occurred. The vessel reportedly did not incur damage or casualties. The news comes after White House National Security Spokesperson John Kirby stated earlier in the week that the U.S. was reviewing, quote, potential terrorist designations for the Houthi rebel group who claimed Yemen's capital of Sana'a in 2014 at the beginning of the country's civil war. The Houthis are a member of the so-called Axis of Resistance, a group of Iranian-led supporters and proxies who have launched drone and missile attacks against Israel following the current military operation in Gaza. The event is the second time that the U.S. warship has intercepted drones from Houthi-controlled territories within eight days, with U.S. destroyer Kearney also shooting down cruise missiles and drones on October 19. Speaking aboard a seized cargo vessel on Sunday, Houthi General Mohammed Fadl Abdanabi claimed that allies of the Zionist enemy attempting to travel through the Bab al-Mandab Strait at the entrance of the Red Sea were considered a legitimate target. Thanks for the facts, Eric. We're going to start the spins from Republic World with a pro-establishment narrative. The interception and neutralization of the Houthi drone was a strategic triumph for the USS Thomas Hudner and a showing of American military strength in the region. The incident not only highlights the current dangers facing numerous parts of the Middle East, but also the proficiency of the U.S. armed forces in protecting democratic values in an unstable world. We follow that up with an establishment critical narrative coming from Middle East Monitor. The U.S. continues to deploy its warships within the Middle East. This is costly economically to the American taxpayer and costly geopolitically by giving unpopular support to Israel. This maritime aggression is actually undermining regional peace and security. U.S. hegemony is making the world less safe. And the nerds think that there's a 50% chance that Yemen will no longer be classified as being in the state of civil war by March of 2027. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. A recent report states that the U.S. thwarted a plot to kill a Sikh separatist. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Financial Times, Independent, Washington Post, 
The Print, BBC News, and The Hindu. U.S. authorities claim to have foiled a plot to assassinate Sikh separatist leader Gurpatwat Singh Panun on U.S. soil, prompting a diplomatic warning to India over its potential involvement in the matter, the Financial Times reported on Wednesday. According to the report, unnamed sources familiar with the case didn't specify whether the alleged plot to assassinate the New York-based lawyer was abandoned after the U.S. intervened or was prevented by the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation, or the FBI. The case had been discussed with the Indian government, quote, at the senior-most levels, the U.S. National Security Council said in a statement on Wednesday. New Delhi expressed surprise and concern after being approached by the U.S., which called on India to investigate the case and bring anyone responsible to justice. Following the report's publication, the Indian Ministry of External Affairs said in a statement it had received some inputs from the U.S. during recent talks on an India-U.S. security ties regarding links between organized crime, armed smugglers, terrorists, and others, though it didn't reference Panun, who's designated a terrorist by the Indian government. Panun is the general counsel of Sikhs for Justice, a U.S.-based activist group linked to the movement for a separate Sikh state known as Khalistan, to be carved out of India's Punjab state. In a statement, a Sikh activist called the alleged conspiracy an act of transnational terrorism and a threat to the U.S. sovereignty. The report for the alleged plot against the U.S. and Canadian citizen comes after Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau suggested in September that New Delhi was behind the murder of Hardeep Singh Najjar, another Khalistani separatist, in British Columbia in June. New Delhi denied any complicity in the unsolved killing, investigated by Canada and the U.S. Adam, thanks for laying out the facts. Our first spin is Narrative A, coming from the print. It's still too early for any conclusions about the alleged Indian conspiracy to assassinate Panoon. All that's certain so far is that Panoon belongs to the obscure U.S.-based activist group, outlawed in India, and is calling for an independent Sikh state. Moreover, the agitator, who has been designated a terrorist in India, repeatedly attracted attention by threatening Indians abroad, including diplomats. Panoon has many enemies, but India will play its part in solving the case in the interest of national security. The spin's going to continue with a narrative B provided by Sikh Slyasat News. The fact that India is yet again suspected of being behind an assassination attempt on foreign soil following the still-unsolved murder of a Sikh activist in Canada may point to a possible pattern of behavior. Washington has already been criticized by human rights groups for its moves to deepen ties with India, while this latest incident also poses a direct threat to U.S. national security. The U.S. shouldn't be guided by geopolitical considerations when investigating the attempted killing of a political enemy of India. The nerds from Metaculus say there's a 6% chance that India will request that another Canadian diplomat be recalled before 2024. News coming from Pakistan as a court orders jailed Imran Khan to appear in a public trial. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Don, Reuters, New York Post, Jurist, and the International News. Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan is slated to make his first public appearance since his imprisonment in August after a special court on Thursday ordered authorities to produce him and jailed former Foreign Minister Shah Mahmood Qureshi for trial on November 28th. Khan and Qureshi were indicted on October 23rd in the Cypher case, 
which concerns a diplomatic document that reportedly contained state secrets and allegedly went missing from Khan's possession. On Tuesday, the Islamabad High Court declared that the case's trial in jail due to alleged security risks was illegal and ordered it to be restarted in a public court. A day later, Pakistan's Supreme Court accepted the bail plea of cricketer-turned-politician who hopes to be freed to contest next year's general election. However, no date has been set for the hearing yet. Khan was charged with misusing the contents of an alleged confidential diplomatic letter during a rally last year, claiming that his government was ousted due to a U.S. conspiracy. If found guilty, he faces a potential death sentence. Though his party, the Pakistan Tariq e Insaf, and the legal team insist that the controversial March 7, 2022 cipher had been declassified, a Pakistani federal investigation agency probe rejected the claim after examining the cabinet meeting's record. Thanks for the facts, Eric. I'm going to start the spin with the narrative A from the Friday Times. The prolonged incarceration of Imran Khan illustrates so well the contempt for human rights in Pakistan since his ousting that even some politicians in America, the very nation that sought to overthrow him, have expressed their concern over his case, urging U.S. President Joe Biden to halt military aid to Islamabad. The latest court orders indicate that this outrage may be about to finally come to an end. Geo gives us narrative B. Though Khan's jail trial has been declared illegal and void, it's crucial to assert that the problem was a mere technicality related to the procedure adopted for the Cypher case trial to be held in prison. Pakistani laws allow the trial court to decide where to conduct the proceedings, including jail premises, especially if security concerns are similar to Khan's trial. And the Metaculous Prediction community think that there's a 13% chance that India will conduct a military intervention against Pakistan before the 2024 Indian general elections. A wave of sexual assault allegations have been filed as a New York law expires. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, Guardian, New York Post, Verity Light, BBC News, and Associated Press. A wave of high-profile sexual misconduct allegations poured in over the last few days just as a New York law that opened up a one-year window to report sexual abuse, regardless of the statute of limitations, was set to expire. New York City Mayor Eric Adams, celebrity actor and singer Jamie Foxx, and Guns N' Roses frontman Axl Rose were prominent names who saw last-minute claims against them. Some of the allegations go back decades and would have fallen outside the statute of limitations if not for last year's law. New York Governor Kathy Hochul signed the Adult Survivors Act into law on May 24th of 2022, which opened a one-year period for people to sue over an alleged sexual assault. The window opened on Thanksgiving of 2022 and ended Thursday. An unidentified woman filed a summons in Manhattan court on Wednesday claiming that Adams sexually assaulted her in 1993 while both worked for the city of New York. The NYPD's Transit Bureau of the Guardian Association of the NYPD are also among the defendants. Former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has been sued for allegedly groping a former aide, and Sean Combs, the rapper known as Diddy, has been sued three separate times under the one-year window. Former President Donald Trump was notably sued by E. Jean Carroll in a 1996 incident and was ordered to pay her $5 million. The law that allowed civil lawsuits around the 20-year statute of limitations was prompted for the high-profile cases of Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby. 
Adam, thank you for the facts. The left's narrative for this story is coming from CNN. Given that more than 2,500 sexual assault allegations have been launched since the Adult Survivors Act opened a one-year window to report sexual assault cases, Governor Kathy Hochul should pass a law extending the window permanently. Sexual assault is a major problem in the U.S., and women especially must deal with trauma for decades before being able to tell their stories to the public. There should be no statute of limitations on sexual abuse. And that left narrative is going to be followed up with a right narrative provided by Breitbart. Democrats are paying the price for their weaponization of the law as shown by the prosecution of Adams. It's nearly impossible and unfair to make a ruling on allegations that go back 30-plus years, and substantive evidence has appeared scant so far. The Democrats opened this can of worms, and now they have created a high-profile legal mess. This legal window should never have been opened. According to recent reports, Iran has secretly executed a man over the 2022 anti-government protests. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Hengal, Iran Wire, Iran International, France 24, and Associated Press. Iran reportedly secretly executed a man convicted of killing a member of Iran's security forces during mass protests that spread across the country last year, media sources and the Norway-based human rights organization Henga said. There has been no confirmation from the Iranian judiciary as of yet. Malad Zorvand, a resident of the Iranian city of Malyar, was put to death at dawn on Thursday in the central prison of the western city of Hamadan, the human rights group said. According to the organization, Zorvand was not informed of his impending execution and was denied a final meeting with his family. In a controversial verdict, the 21-year-old was found guilty of the murder of Ali Nazari, an Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, or IRGC, intelligence officer, reportedly killed during nationwide protests in October 2022. The death sentence was upheld by Iran's Supreme Court last week. Zorvand was allegedly part of a group of five masked men who fatally shot the IRGC agent during student protests at the Malyar Faculty of Medical Sciences. He was reportedly denied a lawyer and other basic rights during his detention and trial, while his family had been allegedly pressured by the IRGC not to comment publicly on his case. If confirmed, Zorvan's death marks Iran's eighth execution in connection with last year's protests in which hundreds, including dozens of security forces, were killed. The protests erupted following the death of Masa Amini, an Iranian Kurdish woman in police custody after being arrested for allegedly violating Iran's strict women's dress code. In early November, UN chief Antonio Guterres warned that Iran was carrying out executions, quote, at an alarming rate. In a report to the UN General Assembly, he noted that at least 419 people had been executed in the first seven months of 2023 an increase of 30% compared to the same period last year. Eric, thank you for those facts. We're going to start with a pro-Iran narrative provided by Press TV. The Western media are reporting extensively on the execution to feed their narrative of the cruel Iranian regime. At the same time, they and their human rights organizations prefer to ignore the fact that many innocent Iranians and security forces were brutally killed during the violent raids in 2022. The murderous attacks and riots were carefully planned and directed from abroad, and people were manipulated for the geopolitical goals of foreign powers. The West doesn't care about the lives and concerns of Iranians, but about regime change through collapse from within. The anti-Iran narrative coming from Iran Focus. 
The execution is the latest evidence of the Iranian regime's flagrant disregard for humanity as it attempts to intimidate its own citizens. Not only was Zorovan denied a fair trial, but the entire case was based on fabricated allegations. By putting yet another young man to death, Iran's mullahs want to signal that they will continue to crack down on any opposition to their medieval system of oppression. Ultimately, however, the recent surge in Iran's death sentences is an admission of the regime's weakness and its fear of its own people, who are fighting for their freedom. And there's a nerd narrative that says that there's an 8% chance that the U.S. and Iran will be primary actors on opposite sides of a war before 2025. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. President Biden declares an emergency over lead contamination in the U.S. Virgin Islands water. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, the Virgin Islands Daily News, St. Croix News, Fox News, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and Daily Mail. U.S. President Joe Biden has declared an emergency over lead in water contamination in the U.S. Virgin Islands this week, after tests in the Caribbean island of St. Croix showed lead levels 100 times above the in- 100 times above the EPA's limit, among the worst seen in decades in a U.S. community. The declaration will allow the Federal Emergency Management Agency to identify and supply the resources necessary to mitigate impacts for 90 days, including providing aid for water, testing, and technical assistance related to immediate public health threats. Though reportedly safe for showering, Virgin Islands health officials have urged people in affected areas to refrain from brushing their teeth with water suspected to contain high levels of lead and copper. Clean water vouchers have been distributed to at least 1,288 eligible residents since November 18th. Late last month, the U.S. Virgin Islands had declared a state of emergency so as to free up resources, streamline emergency response, and seek federal aid after an investigation on reddish-brown water found lead and copper. There is no safe levels of lead exposure, according to the EPA. The measures must be taken if drinking water contaminated with metals is to be used under any circumstances. The underlying cause of the elevated sampling levels is expected to be determined in a final report by mid-December. Lead is an extremely toxic heavy metal that can cause damage to the brain and central nervous system in children and heart problems in adults. This crisis echoes that of Benton, Michigan, which saw residents rely on bottled water for months while waiting for officials to confirm that filters were effective. Adam, thanks for presenting those facts. The first spin is Narrative A coming from ABC News. It's unlikely that this situation constitutes an actual emergency. Poor conduct around testing means that lead levels in water samples likely came out artificially high. The testing should have been carried out again before an emergency declaration, which frees up significant funding and resources at public expense, was made. The spin's going to continue with a Narrative B provided by the Virgin Islands Daily News. The current water crisis is beyond the capabilities of the territory's infrastructure and services, and federal help is needed in order to avert disaster and save lives. Current circumstances definitely meet the qualifications required to declare an emergency. 
The nerds of Metaculus have a nerd narrative. They say there's a 66% chance that the United States Environmental Protection Agency will pass a PFAS maximum contaminant level rule for all municipal water systems in the United States by January 1st, 2030. The World Health Organization says no new pathogens have been found in the China pneumonia outbreak. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, the World Health Organization, BBC News, The Telegraph, Al Jazeera, and Sky News. The World Health Organization, or WHO, has reported that China has detected no unusual or novel pathogens connected to the recent spike in respiratory illnesses and child pneumonia infections across the country. This comes days after the National Health Commission officials reported that respiratory diseases had spiked in China, crediting the rise in flu-like ailments to the lifting of COVID curbs and the circulation of known pathogens, including SARS. Insisting that the upsurge of respiratory illnesses in the country's northern region was due to multiple known pathogens, the WHO added that it's closely monitoring the situation and is in close contact with national authorities in China. According to an analysis of data provided by the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention and the Beijing Children's Hospital, child pneumonia infections started to rise in the PRC in May, five months before Beijing publicly admitted the surge. Though schools in Beijing have so far remained open, many are reportedly canceling classes as more and more children continue to fall ill and attendance declines. Meanwhile, Taiwanese media claims that Beijing and northeastern province Liaoning's children's hospitals have become overcrowded with children who aren't coughing and don't have symptoms, but do have a high temperature. Thank you, Eric. Our pro-China narrative for this round of spins is brought to us by Guardian. The enthusiasm Chinese health authorities have shown in providing the WHO with the requested data on the recent spike in illnesses is welcome. China complied with the international rules and responded to the WHO's request within 24 hours. Adding to the good news is the conclusion from the data that no unusual or novel pathogens have been detected in this surge. Some expected uptick in illness aside, there's little to be alarmed about, at least for now. We follow that up with the anti-China narrative coming from Chicago Tribune. The fact that authoritarian China chose secrecy and inaction over transparency during COVID makes the world jittery about any untoward healthcare developments in the country. Beijing's choices amid that outbreak worsened global response to the eventual pandemic. Even in this latest instance, records show that it took China five months to report the surge after its hospitals first recorded a rise in illnesses. The world needs to remain on its toes regarding Chinese healthcare. And it seems that the nerds have an opinion for just about every story today. They've got one here that says there's a 48% chance that at least two public health agencies will claim before 2025 that China deliberately misreported COVID-19 infections. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. And in case you didn't catch that, Adam just had the nerd narrative, which is something that is provided typically by the, the Metaculous, Metaculous Prediction, Prediction Community. community. <laughs> <laughs> There's a 100% chance that there's going to be another narrative on the next story. I'm right. In our last story today, NASA has received laser-beamed messages from 10 million miles out in space. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, Business Insider, and Space.com. A NASA spacecraft called Psyche 
has fired a near-infrared laser roughly 10 million miles, or 16 million kilometers, through space back to the Hale Telescope at the California Institute of Technology, or Caltech, at their Palomar Observatory in San Diego County, California. The test data was sent about 40 times farther than the distance between the Earth and the Moon, about 239,000 miles, or 384 kilometers. The mission, conducted by NASA's Deep Space Optical Communications Project, was the first ever use of a laser to send a message that far into space. While the agency has long used radio waves to communicate in space, this technology is believed to provide humans with the ability to stream video calls on Mars. The test began at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, or JPL, where engineers switched on the infrared laser, known as an uplink beacon. Fifty seconds later, the Psyche received the laser and relayed its own laser signal back to the observatory. Though such a task requires incredible precision, it could allow space missions to send 10 to 100 times more information per unit of time than they currently do with radio waves. Optical communication uses the same technology as fiber-optic internet. Light signals arrive just as fast as radio waves, but can communicate significantly more information, which could offer high bandwidth uploads and downloads. The Psyche spacecraft was launched in October on SpaceX's Falcon Heavy rocket, and it's on a longer mission to explore a metal-rich asteroid that may shed light on Earth's origins. The near-infrared technology, which packs the data into significantly tighter waves, enabling ground stations to receive more data, will help future robotic and human missions by supporting higher-resolution science instruments. Thank you, Adam, for those facts. We begin our round of spins with Narrative A coming from The Messenger. As NASA missions progress further and further into space, the agency will need to build strong communication systems for astronauts to stay in touch with family from faraway locations. This laser beam reception is the next step in what could be astronauts' ability to engage in high-definition video conferences from places like Mars. This test was an exciting development for future human spacefaring activities. There's also a Narrative B provided by Scientific American. This test was a success, but global curiosity over space exploration doesn't mean we have to invest in the expensive technologies needed to send human astronauts millions of miles away. Earthly onlookers are just as excited to hear about robots on Mars as they are about the potential for a human landing. Why risk continuing the trend of a 3% astronaut death rate when we can pursue the final frontier more safely and cost-effectively? This story wouldn't be complete without a nerd narrative coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. They say there is a 1% chance that NASA will land people on Mars prior to the year 2030. You know, Eric, with the with the way the news had been going today, I was expecting that this laser being messaged from from 10 million miles away was going to be some alien race coming to destroy the Earth. You know what? Don't hold your breath, okay? Thanks for listening to The Verity Podcast for Saturday, November 25th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all the articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. 
Find out more at Verity.news and download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast.